0: This is an SM Media production. everyone and welcome to the latest episode of Chronicle The Ranger's Journey right here on SM Media. I'm Scalmy Pike, it's an absolute pleasure to be your host in this show as always. We are now hitting the 1998 stage as we look at when Rangers hired their first foreign manager. What happened when David Murray finally was able to build his own project at the club 10 years after arriving, bringing in Dick Advocate to join me on this section of The Ranger's Journey is the one and only Mr. Ian Hogg. Ian, as a pleasure to welcome you on to the show. Thank you very much for joining me.
1: You're most welcome, mate. It's an absolute pleasure to be on, and, and many thanks
0: for asking. It's an absolute pleasure. We are obviously going to... It's going to be a very weird show because we do not have a clue if this is going to take one show or two because I think it's fair to say, Hoggy, this the advocate era can be split into two sections. Is that fair to say? Well, it can be split into two or... or... Probably
1: three, really. Um, In so much as the initial rebuild, then the second season of um, trying to just take that step up, consolidate and take a step up. And then the third, which was just downright bizarre that we will come on to, um, of trying to fix something that wasn't broken. Um, And I'll never for the life of me understand why Dick Advocat was trying to do that other than frankly other than ego and Amoruso but like I say <laughs> we'll come on to that but that's like your 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 kind of three parts to the to the tale lots and lots of ups some desperate downs Scott uh some real real low points especially towards the end when we just could not get out of that rut um and everything in between and and what I will say so for the listening public out there, Scott sent me a, an outline of what he thought we'd covered in one show, <laughs> and my head went straight to, well, that's about 10 shows, really, because you'll <laughs> not get me to shut up. So, um, Scott, as you know, history is, is kind of my thing. It's Martin Ramsey's thing. It's, it's, it's what we love to talk about and reminisce, because, as you know, Rangers kind of finished and. Uh, just before the year 2000 for myself and Martin. So um, it's it was one of the <laughs> best times to be alive as a Rangers fan in my lifetime. I'll put it that way. Along with, I'm, I'm currently, um, you may not know this, Scott, um, but I'm going to use this platform for a wee plug. I'm currently writing a book. It'll yeah. be out in April next year, 2023. And it's all based on the my, my series on heart and hand around our Rangers player, um, and it's all to do with. So we've got all these great legends, but we've got all these other guys. We've had fifteen hundred players, and every single one of them's got a story. So yeah. it's all about players that you maybe don't know their fantastical stories, yeah. Mm-hmm. And that that's been my passion forever. So you get that. Yeah. So so therefore, I've been writing recently about a player who was kicking about around the start of the Sunnis era. And I was 10 at that point. And can you imagine an excited young boy reading the daily record when we were allowed to read the daily record, Scott? Um, (laughs) And reading Graham Sunnis, no less, saying that he was going to sign a Serie A foreigner who was going to the World Cup in the summer of 1986. And the papers speculating is it Platini? Is it Falcao from Roma? Is mm-hmm. it Diego Maradona, etc.? <laughs> um, So we've had that era. Then we've had 1998 when we went from, I think we just expected almost the growing up and the professionalism of the on-field team mm-hmm. and everything that that brought. And for me, they've been the two, uh, apart from... You know, 2012 onwards, because I think what's happened under under Gerard actually has is, is done this as well. Those two periods, aged ten and aged what was a twenty-two, were revolutionary from a Rangers point of view.
0: Um, so this is let, let's let's take our time and do this justice. Yeah, absolutely as well. But we'll go back to the with bef- McInnism. Early 1998, when obviously it was announced that Walter Smith was, was leaving the club, David Murray had come out, I think it was at an AGM, and said, Walter's going at the end of the season and we'll start the hunt for the new manager. There's names been thrown about over the years with the likes of Hector Cooper, Marcello Lippi, Sven Joran Eriksson, but Dick Advocat was the man who was chosen to lead this new Rangers revolution. Hoggy, is it fair to say that Murray had obviously come in with huge ideas, but I think the the ambition of 10 in a row and overall Scottish kind of domestic success put a hold to his plans kind of to build that kind of European dominance that he wanted?
1: Uh, yeah. Yeah, I think it did. I think that's really fair to say, Scott. And um, I must admit, I think had he, had Murray wanted to revolutionize the club, he had plenty of opportunity to do so throughout that time, mm. throughout the nineties. Um, Walter Smith was a marvellous and I mean an absolutely marvellous man-manager in the 90s. Yeah. Um, sometimes, both he and his management team were caught out tactically. <laughs> um, I give you, for example, Basil bolly playing it right back in 1994 against Athens. Mm-hmm. Uh, he'd come from a three-man defence and we we chuck him in and then vilify him for being crap. Um, so, what Walter Smith could be found wanting tactically in the nineties except when he went to Parkhead, of course, mm-hmm. because it developed this Parkhead playbook. And 99 times out of a hundred, it worked. I'd love to have seen his with a Parkhead playbook could uh, inch in against Juventus, for example, um, <laughs> but, but it never happened. And therefore, when Walter came back in the 2000s, you saw what a different coach he was. Mm-hmm. Still the same man manager, if not better, but a, a, an infinitely improved coach. And we make a European final with a far lesser squad than yeah. we had in the 90s. Um, so we had moments where, had Murray chosen to, we could have done it. We could have done it in 2003-4. We could have done it 4-5. We could have done it 5-6. Um and then from there on, in, I think Celtic are starting to get their act together. They're nowhere near us. We chuck it away ten all, et etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Everyone knows the story. But had we truly wanted to revolutionise the club, it was there for Murray to do so. Um, and I including uh, including that, by the way, the the whole onset of the new English Premiership. Mm-hmm. Had Murray, and I firmly believe this, had Murray made enough noise um he had the influence i think to kickstart change given it was an invitation type tournament um but he didn't and we entered a couple of seasons of you know after winning the treble a couple of seasons of you know we, we were pretty dreadful in the eye um and again, Celtic were nowhere, and you know Motherwell are challenging us, and and all the rest of it. So, so he had the chances to do it. He decided not to. The Holy Grail was this ten in a row. Whereas, my my firm belief is, had he really had a focus on going for Europe before the before the game got moneyed out of our reach then we could have potentially got there.
0: 2003-2004 was the time to build on that, Scott. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's totally fair to say. But obviously, Dick Advocat was well-known, I would say, in European football. had obviously took Holland to the 94 World Cup, had done well at PSV, it was a protege of Reno Michaels, obviously getting the nickname the Little General. There was enough known about Advocat. What was the excitement like at the time when it was announced that Dick Advocat was coming to Scotland? Oh, plenty
1: of excitement, and and what's interesting is, um, no one in the press ever said Smith was being axed. Yeah. Only Walter announced that just a few years ago. Yeah, it was only recently. You know, he, yeah, he 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 said, "Yep, he was he was sacked. He wanted to stay," and Murray said, "Sorry, no, you're going." Um, what is bizarre about that, incidentally, is David Murray did that. After allowing Walters, so it was clearly it must have been been in his head at the start of season ninety seven ninety eight. It must have been in David's Murray uh, David Murray's head that either Walter stays on to go for eleven or twelve or however many if he if he makes ten in a row, um, or whatever happens, he's going. But he still lets him spend fifteen point four million pounds. Yeah, that that's. That's actually nonsensical. It Mm -hmm. simply doesn't compute, right? Um, However, Smith is going, and I think I'm never a fan of that happening, I must admit, right? We've had it with Smith, we've had it with McLeish. Um, When you announce that a manager is going, I am a big believer in players unconsciously down tools and we saw it that season Scott we we saw players down tools we got we saw players getting more unprofessional as the weeks went on uh we saw players down tools under McLeish. um and we've seen it at at other clubs but we heard it was uh, it was Dick Advocaat there'd been plenty of speculation as you say in the press with a whole variety of names i think it came down to Sven Jörn Eriksson and Dick Advocaat yeah um at the time, Sven-Jörn Eriksson was probably the guy with a slightly better CV, mm-hmm. especially at Benfica. However, everyone, everyone you do, who, you knew who Dick Advocat was, even though he didn't have a sparkling football career. Um, he was a manager. He'd managed the Netherlands. He'd managed PSV Eindhoven. We knew about him. We knew about his players. His players played for Holland at PSV Eindhoven. Um, And, of course, it's just before the onset of widespread internet. Mm -hmm. So there's a very lazy thing that everybody did. That, well, he's Dutch. He must be as good as Johan Cruyff. Right? And... Everyone did it. Absolutely everyone did it. Folk are in the pubs talking about it's going to be magic, it's going to be total football, it's this, that, the next thing. Um, and we welcome on to it that the first half of the season was anything but yeah. total football.
0: Um, but, yeah, genuinely, people were excited. So the summer of 1998 is obviously a, an exciting time to be a Rangers fan. Advocate. i prepared a dossier on the likes of building the team around a young Barry Ferguson, keeping a few players like Sir Albert, Sam Maruso, Perini had all, cho- all chose to keep them. But that summer was obviously he- heading with the World Cup. Hoggy. what was the excitement considering how well that Dutch team did? Oh, massive excitement. Um,
1: you know, you were you were looking at players like Arthur Newman that had already <clears> signed, <throat> I think, in May, uh, much to the disgruntlement of PSV Eindhoven fans. Yeah. Um and we saw him do so well at the World Cup. And then you wondered who else was coming. Mm. Because like you say, there was a bit of a... Um, there was a dossier. There was a who's going to stay, who's going to go. And after the Cup final against Hearts in May 1998, you kind of expected everyone to go.
0: yeah,
1: Maybe with the exception of the foreign players. Uh, you know, your Amorussos, your Alberts, etc. Um, but that wasn't the case. And... You know, you had McCoy, Gorham, McCall, Stephen Wright went to, to Bradford, Goff was released again, mm-hmm. uh, Alan McLaren retired, Loudrup went away, Durant went on to have a great career actually at Comarnock. Uh, yeah. and you know, we we got money for Joachim Uh I think Peter van Vossen even went back to Feyenoord, so you know there was lots of first team regulars, regulars left. But you're watching that World Cup, thinking who's going to arrive, um, and it starts in June, and we've only signed Arthur Newman, but we were being, you know, uh, we were being linked with a bit like 1986, you know, this, that, and the other, mm-hmm. and it was it was almost a kind of daily who's who of football and the tabloids. I guess by that time I'm older and you're wiser to the tabloid games and you know it's all about um it's basically clickbait stuff mm. of its time, you know. We'll tell you the names if you buy your paper. Um and as the summer wears on or as the world cup wears on a few deals start to bubble away that you know are coming to fruition. Um Arthur Newman sorted, Gabriel Amato sorted, Giovanni van Bronckhurst from Feyenoord for 5 million quid is sorted. And then towards the end of the World Cup, you start hearing about, right, we need a goalie. We've only got Antin Yemi really. Mm-hmm. Um, and we sign Lionel Charbonne, who wins the World Cup, albeit, mm-hmm. what was the third choice goalkeeper? he's got one more world cup medal than i have right um we were in for stefan Guivars, who went to newcastle more on him later spoiler (laughs) um we ends up i remember i recall it was either the 15th or the 16th of july and the papers were full of there will be an english striker signing for rangers today and all of us thought it was robbie fowler yeah um and how disappointed and what a spoiled brat I was when I found out it was Rod Wallace. Um a quick story. I've told this before on, on, on other pod, uh, podcasts, Scott, but I'll tell it here. Um my mate at the time was a, a big League United fan. Mm-hmm. And I'm in a I'm a I'm genuinely in a big huff that it's not Robbie Fowler. Because he was touted for years to join mm-hmm. Rangers. Um and he said, look. Wallace will score goals for you guys. He really will. And I said, he won't score 10 goals all season. And he said, I bet he does. And see if he does. You need to get a Rangers jersey with Wallace 16 on the back, mm-hmm. as was his number for that season. Mm-hmm. I think I had to buy that around about early September. <laughs> um, so yes, egg on my face. And and then, of course, the, the other two summer signings. There were another six throughout the season that we'll come on to. But the other two summer signings were right at the end of July. Daniel Prodan from Romania, eh, from Atletico Madrid. Sorry, the Romanian, and Colin Hendry from Blackburn Rovers, despite him being about 146 years old. I think. Yes.
0: Let's touch on those two signings because obviously you mentioned there about the the massive spending. Newman Van Bronckhorst. I mean, they're young talents. Charbonnier, as you say, French international goalkeeper. These two signings, the Prodan and Henry signings, let's start with Daniel Prodan. On paper, Daniel Prodan scored against Rangers for Stoya Bucharest, really good at the 94 World Cup for Romania. On paper, very good signing, Hoggy. Dig a little deeper, Daniel Prodan is done physically.
1: Yeah, there's a reason. Again, 2020 hindsight. There's a reason that Daniel Prodan was only being sold for two point two million pounds, mm-hmm. and it's because he couldn't run. Um, he was done, right? He he he's, he had a pretty serious injury, and we wanted to rush it through, and we didn't do a medical, or we didn't do a thorough medical anyway, um, and we signed him, and it was a risk. Of course, it was, and it turned out the risk backfired. Um, And it's a shambolic and unprofessional way to operate that I think, put it this way, Scott, if there was any other business in the world, and we're not talking about multi-billion pound businesses, we're talking about a business with, you know, a turnover of whatever it would be at the time, 80 million pounds. And I'm guessing it might not even have been that, it might have been more. But let's call it a hundred million pound turnover because that makes the maths really, really easy. Mm -hmm. You gamble two percent of your annual turnover basically in a kind of I'm going to put it on black or I'm going to put it on red, which Mm -hmm. is what we did with Daniel Prodan. Um, and if it fails, then you should be sacked on the spot. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's what David Murray allowed his executive team to do. It Mm -hmm. was a ridiculous piece of business. Um, Like you say, Daniel Prodan was a marvellous footballer. Mm -hmm. He was an absolute top drawer, football playing defender.
0: Um, Just unfortunately, he was done. Yeah. And the next signing, although you said there that Murray allowed the Prodan signing to happen, he absolutely was at the tail end the forefront of this signing, Colin Henry from Blackburn for £4 million, Scotland captain at the time, 32 years old. Murray had desired to keep a Scottish core while signing so many foreigners, so realistically Colin Henry kind of did tick that box. I think, and I spoke about this last week on the, the show we did with Stephen Harrigan, David Murray wanted to do that deal to negotiate with Jack Walker, to show Jack Walker, who had obviously been his acquaintance in the steel business, to can kind of, I would say, to start a pissing contest with his mate. And I think this is, this is exactly what this is. There uh, there could be truth in that.
1: Absolutely. There's definitely truth in he wanted a Scottish core. Um, the issue is that, listen, Colin Hendry was. A relative success for Rangers, you know. Colin Hendry could come onto this show and say, "Boys, I won the treble for Rangers." Yeah. And how many players can actually say that? Of yeah. the fifteen hundred plus minus players who played for Rangers, how many can say, "I'm a treble winner"? Mm-hmm. Not many, right? Mm-hmm. However, again, twenty twenty hindsight, is anybody going to tell me that Colin Hendry? It's the type of footballer that Dick Advocat wanted at Rangers. No. Because Dick Advocat wanted to play football from the back. He wanted to play good football. Not total football, but he wanted to play good football. He wanted to play on the deck. And Colin Hendry, his entire career, was a defender that reveled in last-ditch tackles, in saving the day, in... Captain Braveheart and and all that type of rhetoric that goes with him. And listen, he was marvellous at it. He was really, really good at it. How many times did he win points for Scotland? Mm -hmm. You know, uh, basically ensure that Scotland didn't get beat or they they got over the line with a a win or whatever. Last-ditch tackles. But at Advocats Rangers, he didn't want last-ditch tackles. He wanted thoughtfulness he wanted players who could play he wanted players who could play for the back he wanted footballers and colin Hendry, um for all his positives colin Hendry wasn't the best footballing player uh, he wasn't the best ball playing footballer in the whole wide world mm-hmm. and therefore to spend four million quid on a guy that was going to be 43... For, uh, sorry, 33, my apologies, four months later, um, is... It does stink of vanity. It really does. Because you could have looked at Scottish core. Who else could you have gone to get? Well, Don Hutchison, or yeah. for all his faults at the time, Christian Daly. Oh, sorry, for all for all his so-called faults throughout his career, Christian Daly. Or... or a lot of these guys, Neil McCann, we ends up going to going to get. Colin Cameron was it's not
0: just that; it's not just that as well. It's like there's no sell-on value in a player of that. Level. But exactly,
1: I, I, yeah, I, and and I, I must admit, I do think that's where the pissing contest has real merit. Um, that if you're paying four million pounds for a player that's almost thirty-three, you're doing it for a reason. It was either. Scottish core, that's the guy I want and or I need to get one over on this guy from the past because we all know and again, this is 2020 hindsight again we all know that Advocat played him and didn't fancy him. Mm -hmm.
0: Absolutely. But the season starts with a a 5-3 victory over Shelburne in the UEFA Cup despite Rangers being 3-0 down after 60 minutes to get the five goals but The overall start to that season, it's a new Scottish Premier League. We touched on that last week. It was a new era. We'll touch on the kick-off time later on in a certain game. But it's a new kind of era of Scottish football, and Rangers start it pretty well. I mean, they only lose one of their their next 13 games after that. Hearts hearts defeat, but in November, they go to Celtic Park and get absolutely trounced. And I would say this is a massive wake-up call for Advocat.
1: I think it is, um, you know. I, and before we get onto this, I think we should acknowledge: we've talked about the players that he signed, we've talked about the players that he let go. I do think we should acknowledge the players that he kept. Yeah. Uh, from that, from that whole, you know, dossier that we that we talked about. So he kept George Alberts. Um, he would clearly fall out of love with him. Marco Negri stayed. I think that was more out of injury and necessity. He wanted Gordon Jury to stay. Um we kept Gattuso, Perini, we kept uh, uh Craig, Craig Moore to begin with, yeah. Tony Vidmar, um we kept we kept Amaruso and we kept Ian Ferguson.
0: Yeah.
1: And I think there's a big thing you know, Scott, for my love of Ian Ferguson. Yep. Mm-hmm, um mm-hmm. A player who I firmly believe sacrificed himself for Rangers, for Walter Smith, because he was a box-to-box midfielder, and he turned into a defensive midfielder. Mm-hmm. And I almost think, and I've long held this thought, the advocate took one look at Ian Ferguson and went, that's the father figure I need in the dressing room, mm-hmm. um, and we will come on to that five one game clearly, but you know, we 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 start that season and it's five three against Shelburne. The nuttiest of nutty games, they're 3 0 up. <laughs> um there's horses and pubs in Tranmere for Christ's sake, and you know, we, we, we make some subs and all of a sudden we run out five three winners, the, the the returns are nothing game, and you know, we're we're through. We lose the first game against Hearts, and I recall this pretty vividly. I was right up in the back of the stand. Um, they race into a two-goal lead. And bear in mind, we've seen Shelburne race into a three-goal lead. And you're thinking, mm. what exactly is the defence doing here, right? Because <laughs> um, against Hearts, I'm pretty sure we had like... I can't remember who the defence was, but Amaruso wasn't playing.
0: I think it was Scott um, Wilson and... Uh,
1: Scott Wilson definitely played, I think. I I, I forget who who it both was, but I'm I'm fairly... Amoruso was... um, I think he'd been suspended and therefore wasn't playing. So, um, after 20 minutes, we're a shambles. And then we start playing. Then Wallace scores. And the entire Rangers end after that (laughs) Hearts game waits to the end and applauds the team off the park. Because we could all see what they were trying to do, mm-hmm. and the first half of the season is a lot of that. We can see what they're trying to do, but they just go over the line. Yeah, so yeah. the next game, um, and we'll we'll, we'll deal with the UEFA Cup run separately. The yeah. next game, we win two one against Motherwell. Albert scores a last minute penalty. Yeah, he doesn't mm-hmm. score that. We've got one point out of six from the opening two games yeah mm-hmm. we beat Motherwell 3-1 at rugby park st johnston 4-0 we draw with dundee united we draw with celtic in september 0-0 yeah a game, boring, incid- game yeah uh, yeah a game incidentally i drove 23 hours solid back from the south of france for <laughs> um i got home had a four-hour cap went to Ibrox and then wondered why the hell it bothered. <laughs> um But then we draw with Aberdeen, we get past, you know, Dunfermline, 1-0 against Dundee, etc., etc. My My point is that the whole 4-0s were were few and far between. There was some that ended up a 7-0 at McDermott mm-hmm. Park against St. Johnson just after we'd signed Stefan Grievarsch. Yeah. But like I say, they were few and far between. More often, what you were finding was the likes of um, oh, Halloween, 31st of October. Dundee United take the lead, Billy Dodds at Ibrox. Um And it takes until the 63rd and the 84th minute for us to score. And we scrape by another three points. And I think there's a lot of romanticism about Advocats' first year or two. Versus, incidentally, there's no romanticism whatsoever, with 2020 hindsight, about Alex McLeish. Mm. But McLeish took a, a failing and ailing side, whipped them into shape, and made them winners. Five trophies in a row. Then bombed. Then got it back. And then bombed again, yeah? yeah. So mm-hmm. he he doesn't get the same love as Advocate gets. But the first half of that season, UEFA Cup aside, was a lot of toil and a lot about a team trying to gel itself and knit itself together. And I think we just, I think we went for it at Parkhead. Um, I had had, incidentally, a pretty major ankle operation on the Tuesday or the Wednesday before the game, mm-hmm. I think it was a Tuesday, um, I, I, I had my ankle reconstructed. Um, so we're talking like a kind of seven-hour operation.
0: Yeah.
1: And the, you can imagine the scar to this day, Scott, right? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, yeah. It's, it's not exactly pretty. I had to cut through nerve and all the rest of it. Um, I went through a wee period in my 20s where I could stuff fags out in my foot. <laughs>
0: um,
1: I don't i wouldn't i wouldn't encourage that kids mm. um but the morning of the game much to the nurses and doctors horror i i checked out um i got myself to Sholins with my crutches i got in the brothers and blue bus and i went to the game my ticket was literally the back row of the rear of the stand um and there's one point I'm doing the bounty on one foot with the crutches in there. I was that guy. Uh I then of course spent two weeks in bed. Because I couldn't move. But that, that game was ridiculous. Advocate set Rangers up so open. And yeah. Celtic Celtic exploited exploited it. Scott Wilson gets sent off and we still didn't shut up shop. He gets sent off at 1 0. Mm-hmm. And In the second half, Celtic just picked Rangers off at will. Um, There was a beam back to Ibrox. 30,000 people turned up at Ibrox. And as the story goes, remember how I said that he wanted Ian Ferguson as his father figure for the dressing room? Ian Ferguson goes into his manager's office on the Monday and his words, not mine, all he said and I will bleep out the swear word, is never, ever, effing do that again. And he walked out and slammed the door. Now, any other player, Advocat's not taken that from.
0: I totally agree.
1: But he never, certainly not in the next two seasons, he, <laughs> he, he didn't go and do it again. He learned from that mistake, and he learned from the guy that he wanted as that father figure.
0: Yeah, and I think it's that thing as well, as you say. I think that was Advocate's lesson of this game is so big, you don't open up with that. As you say, 1-0, Scott Wilson gets sent off. You, you do tighten up, and I don't know if you get something from the game, but you certainly don't lose at 5-1. No, no, absolutely you don't. I mean, I, I
1: can only compare it in all my years of watching football. I can only compare it to Pedro Cusinha. It's per- perhaps the only time Pedro <laughs> Cusinha will be compared to Dick Advocat. Yeah? But you'll yeah. recall that game in whatever it was, March or May, just after he'd taken over, and he put out an attacking team to see what happened. And we got trounced. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, my, my view that day was Pedro Kishinya should have been fired on the spot, because he clearly wasn't the right guy. I wasn't, um, no pun intended, advocating that that Dick Advocat gets the bullet that day. Um because we could see what he was trying to do and we didn't think it would happen again. But it bloody better not happen again. I think that was the that was a view.
0: Yeah. The UEFA Cup the the European run that season is quite a good one. Obviously the the one over Selburn. The Battle Leverkusen game we'll touch on that before we touch on Parma. That is some result to be a a German team like that and specifically the standout by young Barry Ferguson who is an unbelievable assist for a goal. Well it was and uh, I'll 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 make a confession, right? I expected
1: us to go out against Pauk Salonica. Um because that's what we did. Mm-hmm. So I did I, I expected us to, to <coughs> beat I expected us to beat Shelburne and actually like I say that first leg was wild. Um we get Pauk Salonica and, and you've got to remember it's only four years since AEK Athens mm-hmm. absolutely Muller does home and away with Brian Laudrup on the side and Basil Bolley playing it right back in the second leg um, and Mark Hately and, you know, all the rest of it. So, Salonica, you're thinking, eh, that, that, there's a banana skin. And we win 2-0 at Ibrox and we draw 0-0 over there. Even though it's the usual boisterous, you know, searing heat. Um and all of a sudden, I'm thinking, wait a minute, this is this is a bit different. That was just professional and professionally managed. Mm-hmm. And up to that point, I had only really seen Rangers progress in Europe in um eighty six, eighty seven in the UEFA Cup. I think we get put out by Borussia Mönchengladbach when we we basically just lost our temper in Germany. Mm-hmm. Uh, we got to the quarter final of the European Cup in 1998, and we were down to the down to the bare bonds against Olimpia Bucharest, 92-93, clearly Champions League, and that was it. Mm-hmm. In my lifetime, that was it, and I'm I'm not quite twenty three by this point yet. Um, so I am conditioned. And I feel it to this day. I am conditioned to think the worst when it comes to Europe. So, Paxalonica was a bit of a, oh, really? We draw biter uh Jerusalem. And I must admit, my head went to that kind of lazy place of, ah, they're from Israel, they'll be crap. Um, and they weren't. They were a good technical side, but we kind of just swatted them out the road. And then you draw by a Leverkusen, and you think, "Ah, it's been a good run. Um, we've got to Europe to the start of November. It's far better than recent years." Mm-hmm. Um, and I think the first leg over there, we win two one, mm-hmm. and we played such a perfect match. They scored in the last minute; otherwise, it was two 0 and. Honestly, I'm pretty sure from memory, um, Scott, I'm pretty sure from memory the game was live in Eurosport.
0: Yes, it was.
1: That's correct. Um, And Barry Ferguson, that we haven't touched on yet. Let's do it now. Barry Ferguson was really fancied by Advocat, but not really by the support in general, because we hadn't seen him. Mm Mm-hmm. And throughout Walter's time there, the first time round, we didn't bring youngsters through. Period. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think the previous summer, we could have sold Barry Ferguson for 100 grand. To
0: house, I believe.
1: Yeah. And Advocate came in and went, I'm keeping him. And he plays. He plays from the off. Uh, and turns out he's a damn fine footballer. Yes. Um, And that game in Leverkusen, he just controls. He controls the tempo, the flow, everything goes through him. Midfielders run off him. Van Bronckhurst scores the first. Um, But the thing that always sticks in my mind is the one move that Barry Ferguson made where it was so reminiscent, and they're very different footballers, incidentally, but it was so reminiscent of the 1st of January, 1987. Um, so what's that? Almost 12 years prior to this, when Graham Souness, for me, gives his finest performance for Rangers. Mm-hmm. Um, there's one point in that old firm game that we won 2-0, where he sticks his foot in the ball, faints to pass it, and three Celtic players run in the opposite direction. Um, Ferguson did that in this game against Bayer Leverkusen, against Mm. a far superior side to that 1987 Celtic team Um, and he ran the show and it was, I think that was probably the day that everyone went, oh Christ, he's special. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. And then we bring them back to Ibrooks and we score and they huff and puff and I think Ulf Kirsten scores with 11 minutes to go Mm -hmm. Um, and we're through. And all of a sudden, we've just beaten one of the favourites for the UEFA Cup.
0: Yeah.
1: Uh, we've beaten the mighty Bayer Leverkusen. And they had, you know, let, let's let let's be real. They were packed full of internationalists. Mm-hmm. Absolutely packed full from Robert Kovac to Novotny to Zeroberto to Il- Ilf Kirsten. Uh, Niko Kovac, I think came off the bench, he maybe didn't, I can't remember, um, right through to Ramelow up front. Yeah, They were an absolutely top-drawer side. Um, and we made them look ordinary across two legs. Mm-hmm. And at that point, you're starting to think maybe this lot could do it. Of course, it falls flat on his face. We draw Parma, and Parma at that time are probably... The second best Italian team.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, and Parma, my God. They, they strengthen, incidentally, <laughs> the following summer, and we'll come on to that, I'm sure. Yeah. But you've got Buffon, Benarivo, Sartor, Dino Baggio, Herring Crespo, Veron, Stanich, Canavarro, Cannavaro, uh, Abobalbo, and uh, Lillian Turam. so these decent that, team, isn't it? That is an absolutely top-drawer team. They've then got in the second leg. Chiesa comes on Mm -hmm. and Sincini comes in because clearly the first leg wasn't good enough, right? Um, We steal a draw. I've got to watch it in the house, incidentally, because I'm still recuperating from my Parkhead post-op exploits. Um, We lose over there, even though we take the lead. Perini gets sent off. Uh, Amarusso loses the plot and handles, but we've made it all the way through to Europe in December yeah. and with a fighting chance and we're going after teams and we're not showing this ridiculous naivety that we're prone to in the previous years. Um, and it felt good, Scott. It, it felt different. It felt like the thing that we'd been sold the previous yeah. February or March when Dick Advocate
0: was muted. Yeah, and those two mark games, Sammy's in the middle of them as the first trophy of the Advocate era, a 2-1-1 over St. Johnson at Celtic Park to win the League Cup. Stefan Givars, who we mentioned, obviously joined from Newcastle, it didn't work out for him at all at Newcastle, but it comes to Ibrox. Has a really fascinating, a Cedric Itton fascination with St. Johnson, and scores the first goal. St. Johnson level through Dasovic and Alberts makes it two one and the first trophy is in the bag. What was the memories of that day?
1: Well, again, I was I was still recuperating, so I was on the I was on the couch watching it. Um, honestly, I think the entire Rangers support went. Yep, that's one done. On to the next. Yeah. Um, you know there will have been celebrations and all the rest of it, but um, I grew up Scott, as, as I'm sure you know as the League Cup was Rangers trophy mm-hmm. but you expect to kind of knock out key teams as you go we knocked out Alloa, Air United Airdre and then beat St Johnston the final Um, it's a trophy and if the last ten and a half years have taught me anything is you you don't knock trophies right No. Mm-hmm. But back then, that League Cup felt right. That's that done.
0: Let's get ourselves ready for the following week. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the first trophy's in the bag. Rangers pick up in the league. They won ten out of the next twelve games. They've got a six point lead, and it's all looking like the the league's heading back to Ibrox after Celtic had obviously won it the season before. It felt I just felt that Advocate had obviously just. I think. A, I boot up the backside at Parkhead. can I of meant kick on and win. There's there's three 0s there's six ones, there's five 0s There's just an improvement in results. Uh, there is. There's a big improvement. But
1: fr- from that League Cup final, we actually went on the fall and we can drew one one with the Um They they scored late on to to grab the point. We lose in Parma. And I think after that we go one 0 against Kilmarnock. 3-2 against Hearts, 1-0 St. Johnston, uh, 2-1 against Dundee United, and then the New Year game. We draw yeah. 2-2 with Celtic. Um, Stubb scores early on, Amato scores his brilliant goal where he's kind of, you know, uh, doing his uh, Cupid routine. Rod Wallace scores and, uh, in fact, no, that's wrong. That wasn't the Cupid one. That was Amato's mm, that was a header, I think. Yeah. Uh, Rod Wallace scores second half. Larson scores the second half. Mm. Um, and a pretty even match, I have to say. And I think it's following that run. They were back to what I said about that first half of the season.
0: Mm-hmm. Lots
1: of one goal wins or draws. And after the cup final, we draw. And in the league, we draw. Then we have one, two, three, four, one goal wins, we draw with Celtic and then something just clicks. Mm-hmm. And of course I think at that point we have signed um Neil McCann. McCann. Yep. Yeah. So in the December, uh we signed Neil McCann. We signed uh oh Stefan Kloss, of course. Yes, and we signed, and we talked about signing Stephen Guivarch. Uh, but McCann, for me, was actually the missing link. Mm-hmm. All of a sudden, we had a a winger. Because I must admit, Konchelskis really, really wet everyone's appetite in the summer. Yes. Um, and I didn't think he showed it. Now others, others think he did, but that's personal opinion. Neil McCann, for me, was that. Almost the missing Scottish link and the missing winger link that just started to open teams up. And all of a sudden, post that Celtic game, we play, we get past den in the Scottish Cup. Then it's 4-0 at Dens Park, 4-2 <coughs> against Aberdeen, 3-0 against inferland, 6-0 against Hamilton, 6-1 against Dundee, 5-0 against Comarnock, that's the period where something just clicked. And it's a procession from there on in. Um I think after that Celtic game, we I think from memory we only maybe dropped points in three games before winning the title. Um pretty sure we lost to Dundee United. I think we lost to St Johnson and drew yeah, against someone else. I forget who it was. Um but I draw against you know, Dundee. Right, okay. So, but Celtic are <coughs> dropping points whereas in that kind of December, early January period, period there wasn't much between the sides. We just became ultra consistent and scoring far too many goals to be to be dropping
0: major points. Yeah, It heads into the 2nd of May 1999 a bank holiday weekend and I mean I'm astonished I'm even saying this but obviously we've We'll talk about it a wee bit. Six oh five on a Sunday and a bank holiday weekend hoggy, what could go wrong in a Rangers Celtic title decider? What could possibly go
1: wrong indeed? And um honestly, I, I I say this without hesitation. One of the best days of my entire life. Um I would not give this day up for anything. And you're right, a 605. 6 on a Sunday when everyone I can't just believe
0: the police agreed I, I can't believe the police agreed to that time like for any for not just for this game but for the whole season like what what is that? I think there was a certain
1: naivety. I think anyway. Because um, it's you know let's face it, that's only nineteen years after the hand and riot. Yeah. Yeah. Um and then Booze was banned. And mm-hmm. then all we saw, we we saw fairly isolated in-stadium incidents in Scotland um, through the the eighties, like you know the there was a CS gas incident with Hibs and Celtic in the mid eighties, but there 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 weren't many. Um, whereas down in England, you saw running battles and mm-hmm. you know etc cetera, etc, cetera. And, and of course by nineteen ninety nine, that's by and large gone away. And it's the age of Sky. And this is the first season, I think, where we had really, really embraced Sky properly. You Mm. know, it it was the new Scottish Premier League. There was a new trophy. There was new branding. There was new everything. And there was new marketing and new television rights. And therefore, TV largely dictated on a Sunday, we show the game at four o'clock in England. And then we transfer to Scotland and we show a game at five past six. Mm -hmm. Now, that would have been fine had we attempted to change the culture of Scottish football first. Mm -hmm. However, we didn't. And we expected fans to travel uh, because by and large, the, 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 the live game More often than not, not always, but more often than not, would be Rangers away or Celtic away. Mm -hmm. Um, And therefore, you expected those old firm fans to travel in thousands of other numbers and behave and not overindulge, etc. And of course, we did. Because that was the culture. You know, the Scottish culture of fallen football is go for a few pints, etc. If you extend the time, you're still going to arrive in the pub at the same time. You're just going to have a few more. Mm -hmm. That's simple logic. No one seemed to grasp that logic before the season, 98, 99. And therefore, if you add that to a heady mix of... um. And I'm going to choose my words really carefully, Scott. Add that to heady mix of paranoid nutjob. Array, if that's a word. (laughs) Then what you got was the 2nd of May um, 1999. We had people with far too much to drink on both sides, of course. Mm -hmm. We had the press... The press in Scotland is a weird thing, the tabloid football press, because they will tell you, quite rightly, incidentally, what a ridiculously bad thing sectarianism is, and down with sectarianism, and so on and so forth. Um, Especially when it happens, and then it's never out the papers for weeks. But then, of course, in a build-up to a game, especially this game, the chat was about sectarianism and it was about crowd trouble and it was about more sectarianism and so on, so on, so on. And it was about, can the referee do his job? It wasn't about Rangers full strength and Celtic are nowhere. Celtic are having to bring in Scott Marshall from Southampton on loan because, you know, otherwise they're playing a 16-year-old kid. Um, And therefore, then they would stand back and, you know, tut-tut and tell everyone it was dreadful, after they've whipped the crowd up, after it goes wrong, they get to sell more papers off the back of it. Now, that's what happened on May the 2nd, 1999. Um, If I'm being blunt, the Rangers fans were well-behaved. The minority of Celtic fans did not behave. You know, there was... I can't remember how much it was, but there was like 50-odd quid taken off the field in loose change.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, They scalped Hugh Dallas with a coin, drawing blood. Um, A lot of the Celtic support tried to rationalise it by, aye, but he's pure cheating, by the way. Uh, Still baffled. No. Mind, but... yeah. <laughs> um, he gave a penalty that was a penalty, and he allowed goals that were goals. He mm-hmm. sent off Stephen Mahé for absolutely losing the plot. Yeah. He sent off Fidariseth for losing the plot, and he sent off Rod Wallace, probably because he was out. out you know, he lost control of the game, but Wallace deserved to go, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and over and above that, Celtic fans continually tried to invade the pitch to attack the referee. Um, you're a Celtic fan decided to fall or jump or bungee or whatever out the top deck. Um, th- this was a minority of support that were just out of control, and of course it was labelled the old firm shame game. Mm. Um, it was nothing of the sort. In the Rangers end, we went to the game fully expecting the win. We had confidence. We expected goals. We expected Rangers to not get caught up in the mentalness and and dictate the play. And they did. Um, And I must admit, Scott, my only disappointment is we stopped at three. Um, I I do think that Advocat maybe thought this is starting to get a bit wild. Just put your foot in the ball, lads. Um, but Celtic that day were there for the taking. They were there for a 7-0 Scudden.
0: Hmm. Yeah, and it's obviously a 3-0 win. Rangers win the title again. A dream first season's confirmed as Rod Wallace scored the only goal of the game to win the Scottish Cup to secure a domestic treble. And as good a start for a new Rangers manager as you could have hoped for. Is that fair to say? Oh, absolutely,
1: that's fair to say. I mean, that Scottish Cup final again, that... There's another game that was whipped up beyond belief by the press.
0: Dallas got it, it again. That's right. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. Uh, Hugh Dallas was the Scottish Cup final referee, and the press went into overdrive around uh, what had gone on in the second of May. You watch that game back. He refs it well. Yeah. Um You know, look at the pressure that he's under after he gets hit by the coin. Martin Vecors puts two hands around Tony Vidmar uh, and pulls him to the ground. He gives a penalty. The Celtic players are trying to pressure him. Celtic fans are trying to attack him. And still he referees that game well. Mm-hmm. So he's given the final and the entire week, it's the build-up. Can Celtic stop the treble? Are Rangers going to get the treble? Can Hugh Dallas really operate under this level of pressure and scrutiny? as we crank up the pressure and scrutiny. Um, and it, again, there was just this self click <laughs> clickbait, I think you would call it in modern day. Um, and it worked because it whipped a certain support up into a frenzy. To the point that there's a shot from Paul Lambert, Rangers are winning 1-0. Uh, Rod Wallace scores. Great goal. Really, really fine goal. Great finish. Celtic claim for offside. It's only about the three yards on. Um, Last minute, Paul Lambert. Snapshot at at, at goal. Amoruso puts both arms behind his back and chests the ball away. Six Celtic players surround the referee, pointing and pushing and shoving. Um... And twenty-five thousand uh in 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 Hamden are basically chanting who's the orange bee in the black type mm. stuff. Um it's it was a measure of the time. I don't think it's really changed, if I'm being honest, Scott. No, it hasn't. Um, but it hasn't. but we'd won the treble that day. Dick Advocat had won the treble, he'd taken a team who the previous summer were a shambles. Mm-hmm. And a shambles simply because of the amount of players we were releasing and all the rest of it. There was a, a major rebuild required, unlike when Soonis arrived, because I made that comparison earlier. Soonis only brought in something like five players and four of them played. Mm-hmm. To begin with, then he brought in Graeme Roberts. Um, there was a bigger rebuild for Dick Advocat to do. Mm-hmm. And he did it. He got over the initial humps. He made his credible in Europe, which was important. Important Mm -hmm. for him, but important for us as well because that was almost a kind of barometer of how we were growing up in a kind of professional era. Um, And he'd won the treble. The first trophy was almost a tick box exercise. Um, But those first six months were a bit of a toil. Then we turned the corner and then there was no stopping us. Um, we had the 2nd of May. It was magnificent winning the trophy there. Um, and then we had the Scottish Cup final against them again. And we beat them. Perhaps not as convincingly as the 2nd of May, but but we beat them with a little bit to despair whilst all around us, apart from us, but all around us, are absolutely losing their heads
0: we will touch on the next part of the AdvoCat era in our next episode as we take a look at the 99-2000 season what happens when the dominant era comes to an end in the AdvoCat regime thank you very much to Hoggy for joining me in this part of the show, we are going to pick this up in the next part, thanks Hoggy it's been a pleasure uh, the pleasure has been all mine, you can probably tell Scott I love this stuff Brilliant. We will join you on the next part of the Rangers' Journey. Thank you very much.